there you have it. Okay, um, so this week we're starting, it's Parshish Truma, and I want to preface and say that this year is in memory of my nephew, Maishi, uh, the son of Menach Mendel Advas Yechayenta. His third yard site is tomorrow, so our learning should be an aliyah for his neshama. And uh, yeah, we, we, we're done with this whole Gullah situation, really. It's overrated, in my opinion. I wouldn't say my humble opinion, because I'm not, it's not humble about this. I think it's very overrated, but there you have it. Our learning should be an aliyah for his neshama. Okay, so Parshish Truma... I love these parshias. We're, we're, we're going in. So I was like, I did not understand anything that was going in the parsha. So I don't know who follows along the, the Chumash learning on their own, but basically here's a spoiler. For the next, we have five Torah portions until we get to the end of Shemos. Four of those are going to be talking about the tabernacle. Okay. Of those four, you will literally have two parshas that are copy-paste, copy-paste with very slight differences. So now the question is now, how do we figure out how to make it relevant and interesting and special? So we have time to discuss this. What I would like to do briefly, as we always do, is to sort of get a little bit of an idea of what we talk about in this particular parsha, And then we're going to go and um, talk about some details and things that are going on inside. Did that make any sense? I think it made sense. Okay. That's how we, that's usually what we do. And I say, like, maybe we shouldn't even talk about it. I was like, no, we can't talk about a home for God if we don't actually talk about it for a little bit. Okay. So before we get into here, here's, um, it's not, um, we're not going to go Pusik by Pusik, but basically this is what we're going to, we're going to, oh no, markers. Yes, markers. Okay. Here's the, here's the cliff notes of the home for God. And then we'll get into the details. Okay. It runs, it runs east to west. Sorry, it runs west to east. Okay. It has in it essentially three, three sections. This box over here, this whole thing is called the Ohel Moed. The Ohel Moed. No, Moed, which means a tent of meeting. The Ohel Moed is made up of two parts. This is called the Kodesh, which is the holy, and this is the Kodesh Kodeshim, which is the holy of holies. Okay? This area is called the Chatzer, the Chatzer, which is a courtyard. Okay? This is the basic, and, and these are, okay. We're going to get to this in a second. In the holy, let's go for a second. What is housed will work from the lesser to the, from the outside in. What is housed in the chatzer? Anybody know? What do we have? It's not all talked about in this parsha. What do we have in the chatzer? Anybody? The altar. We have an altar. Okay. We're going to have an altar. I told you I, I, uh, I failed stick figures. Okay. There's actually two altars in the temple. This is not the temple. This is the tabernacle. This is the Mishkan, not the Mikdash. This is for animal sacrifice out of the Chatzar. And it had a ram. You see, here's a nice ram. Okay, there was another item in the Chatzar, which is not listed in this week's Torah portion. It's in next week's Torah portion. Anybody know what it is? There's another item in the Chatzar. Nope, nope, nope. It's a wash basin. It's the Kior. We have the Kior, which is a wash basin. 
And when I'm going to make it, it's going to look like a, it's going to look like a spider, but it's not a spider. Okay, essentially, it's some kind of, I thought this was going to look like a spider. Do not take my drawings to size or to any kind of dimensions. Yes. The Omoid is This is Omoid. It has the Kodesh and the Kodesh oh, Kadashal. Okay. okay, the Omoid is. Was this. this the same layout as the Beit It's the same layout as the Beit but this is the travel size version. Okay. This is the Hatzer on the third section too. No, no. This open space is the Hatzer. This would be part over here, like over here, plain Jane Jews could come. So this is where Kohanim and Levium would go, and then in here was only the Kohanim, and in here was only the Kohen Gadol on the whole on Yom Kippur in the Kodesh Kodashim. Okay. Are there walls in between? Ega, ega, we're gonna get there. Okay, the kiar was what the Kohanim used to wash their hands and feet before they did the service, which is, yeah. huh? After they did it? No, that's for before, it's preparation for the service. It wasn't washing for clean, it was washing for spiritual. And they would basically take, can you balance like this? A, your right hand and your right foot together under a faucet, and then your left hand and your left foot under to, for, to, for the faucet. So this was, this, a spiritual washing was not a clean thing. It was a spiritual thing. Parenthetically, the Kohanim worked barefoot. We're going to talk about it. Next week, we're talking about the clothes of the Kohanim, the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol. And they only wore what they, it talks about in the Torah. They wore barefoot. So, and, oh, so that's one thing. Now, in the Holy, in the Kodesh, we have three items. I'm going to zoom out over here because I need a little bit more space. Okay? In the Kodesh, we have to the north, we had the table, okay? Don't judge my drawing. We had the shulchan. Into the north. Was the shulchan, it was a table. On the table were 12 loaves of bread that were switched every Friday. Part of the service was switching the bread and whatever came off was given to the Kohanim who were on duty. This is, this is not all in this partial, but I'm just telling you what's going on over here. Um, to the west, was the menorah, okay? That was lit here. And the third item here is we have the menorah, candelabra, and we have in here another altar. This was the golden altar. The golden altar, and this was where incense was offered. The Taurus was offered over there, okay? So this is the zoom out of that. Is anybody following me? Good. Mm -hmm. What well, had, had bread? Had bread. They were special kind of loaves of bread. It wasn't actually, if we're gonna be honest, there's actually no bread in the in the in the base of Mikdash or, or in the Mishkan. Not in the neither the tabernacle nor the, or the nor the temple actually had bread. It was all versions of matzah, but it was so thick it was it's called lechem upanim. It was called bread. It was, it was baked in an open space thing so it, it looked like it had you know ends we'll get to that we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk about all these items more but i want to sort of sketch it out a little bit and in the holy of holies we had the ark okay we had the ark we had the aron and what was on top of the aron the curving the chairs and inside the ark inside the ark we had the we had well besides the we'll get to the what the arm what the ark looked like um adina is asking what was housed in the ark the ark is 
really like a matryoshka box is, right? A gold, a, a gold or wood and a gold, right? What was in the inside box? So it was put, what was the tablets and the, and the broken tablets? Now there's a question, Adina raised a question of the man. The man was saved, uh, uh, the container of man was saved for future posterity. Where was it saved? Was it in the ark or next to the ark? And the same question is the Torah that Moshe wrote. Was it in the ark or was there a ledge put onto the ark that it was there? All good questions. I don't know the answer. The Torah that Moshe wrote. Moshe wrote the first Torah. Okay. On and the last day of his life. The ark is in the Holy of Holies. The ark is in the Holy of Holies. Okay? So my whole picture looks like a spider now. I have a question. Yes. So in the Alone, yes. For sure, it was the broken tablets and the second set of tablets. Correct. And then the jar of mom and the Torah that was was around the area. There's the machlekes. Okay. We're, we're Jews. Nothing is that clear, you know. There's a conversation. No, 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 no. Every the question it was Aaron. Aaron was told to put it with the ark. The question was, was he told to put it exactly. in the ark or near the ark? Like, and then the whole conversation tomorrow was there a ledge built onto the ark that would hold these two items? Were there space inside? The jury is out. Okay. Um, now, Zoe asked a very good question. What were these lines that I have here made of? So, the Mishkan that we're talking about this week and next week, and next week, and next week, right? We're talking about the Mishkan for a long time. This is a traveling structure. So, it is made of. The chatzer, the, the courtyard, this is actually not something accurate. The courtyard is actually made up of beams and curtains, okay? And if you see here, there was actually a curtain in the front and you, you would come around the curtain, right? To come in. So it wasn't like an open door. There was a curtain blocking the entrance, but there was a, right? Okay. So, the, so you have, you have uh, beams and curtains going all the way through, and there's a conversation in the tire in great detail of the curtains and the hooks and what it was made of and how it was hung and what was done. And the other thing which is very interesting to note is that they also had to make sockets for the beams because there's you're not building a foundation every time you stop. So they have like these big silver sockets that the beams would sit in and that would be, that would brace them for the time that it was up, okay? The Ohel Moed was different. It was made of wood, acacia wood, atzeshitim, okay? And it had, the, the boards were, it had, did, again, the target is the exact dimensions. The Holy of Holies was 10, 10 amas by 10 amas. This was, I think, also, to, I don't know, this might be a little bit bigger. Well, we can look inside and see the dimensions all there. These are wood covered with gold set into silver sockets except for this is a curtain separating the holy and the holy of holies and the top of the olomoid was layers and layers of different kinds of uh, curtains spun wool animal skins leathers all different kinds of stuff was the was the top of it the chatzer in the base in the in the mishkan was open air but the ohel moed was protected Okay, now, not going into all the dimensions in, 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 the, in the circle right now, because I want to spend some time talking. I want to know a little bit, a little bit about it, but just as an FYI, 
less of the whole, this whole thing together is called a mishkan. Okay, so yes, the mishkan has the holy, the holy holes, and the all these in the mishkan. The whole mishkan, color just it's 150 hours long. Okay, now one may ask, how big is an amma? So, in good Jewish tradition, we have many, many options. It's anything between 12 and 18 inches. Okay, depending on how you, an amma is officially a male elbow to, to finger, but what does that actually mean? Who are we judging it against? What was the standard? So we have lots of options of what we could, which means that the Mishkan, our traveling little tent, you know, you think, oh, like we went, we went uh, camping and we took a tent with us that we like kind of had a pop-up tent. And no, <laughs> this was not that kind of structure. It was the length of a half a football field, 150 amas. If it's, 18 inches, it's right, it's like 150 yards. I don't remember. We could decide maybe 50, maybe 50. Okay, this is not a little tiny structure, and yet it's our traveling structure, it's a temporary structure. The only item that does not get um, exchanged when we go into the into the Bet Hamikdash is the ark. Every other item here is travel size and gets made again in um, I guess gets made again in bigger size. So for example, for example, the altar, the outside altar for sacrifices in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, is five amas by five amas. Okay. In the Bethamikdash, it's 32 amas by 32 amas. It's massive, okay? Um, it's, it's, it, we don't have like a real good picture of how big, I mean, I, I'm not such a spatial person. I don't get it so much. To me, five arms, that's like pretty big, but the, 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 the Mizbeach, the altar in the base of the Kiddush had multiple fires on it and the Kohanim would walk around the edges. 32 amas, that's like very, very, very big, right? If 32 is 18, if an ama is 18 inches, it's very big. Well, they're not going to have it to size. Where are they going to put it? Maybe they do. I would imagine. I would imagine. I, I was there years ago. I would. We were to try to arrange a trip to the Temple Institute and see what's going on. Um, I would imagine. Huh? We will. We will. It's not going to be today. We're just going to have to. We have set up. Give me a second. We're going to do it. Um, so meaning they might have. They might have it to scale but I don't, I don't know that they actually have it to size, okay? So here's, this is our traveling home for God. Now, what do we wanna talk about this week? I mean, I wanna talk, talk about a lot of things, but I wanna say a couple of things. First of all, uh, creation of the world, we got one chapter for it. Revelation, we got three. We have 13 chapters that talk about building a home for God. And, in the scheme of Jewish history, it does not last for very long, right? We have the 40 years in the desert. We have the almost 400 years till the temple is built and then it's, and then it's put away. So 
in the scheme of, you know, in the scheme of, for sure, of Jewish history, it's like, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of attention to a lot, a lot, a lot of details. And when we're going to go into it this week, we're not going to get into it so much because we have other things we want to talk about, but we're going to have a chance to talk about why do we know, need to know how many hooks were on each curtain and how they had to line up and what color hooks were used to, con- it's a lot of detail, right? And it's only, I mean, I guess, I don't know if, the, I don't know if my, my wording is, but it becomes important if we understand that it's about not just making a home for God, but it's a place for us to make a relationship and a home to God. And so then every single detail is going to become relevant. In fact, a lot of the, the commentators talk about the idea of that the Mishkan and the Beit HaMikdash are both modeled after our homes. You know, God wants, you know, what does it even mean that God wants a home, right? Like, I mean, you're learning Hasidus, you're learning, you know, like it's a conversation, it's a question that happens, that, we, that comes up all the time, but like God's every place, like what? You know, what are we going to do with this home, right? But but the place and the co- part of the conversation, which we're going to develop a little bit more, is that hush, what is the difference between us in our home and us outside our home? Comfort. So, there's a place of comfort. There's a place of ourselves. We don't have to, you know, we could wear, our, you know. Put them on kind of show. You could wear your ratty pajamas you if you want. Correct. You can't wear your pajamas to the basement, it's such, or to, it's such wow. a, the, you can't wear your pajamas to somewhere else. I mean, you're right. really close, right? What's the question? The question is our home is where we get to be real. You know, it has, it's positive and it also has the flip side, you know? Like the home is where we don't have to, we somehow feel it's okay to just like, bloop. you know, we don't have to be like, where it's actually not true. Like we should be as nice to the people who live in our home as we are to the strangers in the supermarket, right? And somehow in our home, we know that those are the people who love us. And, but the home is a place where we are so, so, so comfortable. We get to really be ourselves. And God says, in this space where we meet, I want to be able to wear my ratty pajamas. Yes. So this isn't even a question because I know it's a whole other, but it just popped into my head. And I don't understand all the reasons why, but we don't have the Holy Temple now. But we, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Now. We're going to get there. Okay. We're going to get there. This, the, these are some of the outside conversations, okay? So the, the, the place of having so much time devoted to the building of a home that doesn't exist anymore, that didn't last for so long, means that it has to be very significant to us. And the more you learn the different commentaries and Hasidus, all the layers and layers, and hopefully that's what we're going to get to do a little bit as we go through the weeks of talking about the temple and the tabernacle, because here we are only talking about the tabernacle. We're not talking about the temple. The structure is the same. The size is not the same at all. The temple was much bigger, had many more rooms and was built of different materials. But let's get started a little bit. So that, that was by way of introduction. Okay, so now we have a little bit of a picture of what we're talking about. Okay, so if you have your flumish, I want you to go back to the end of last week's Torah portion. Um, one second. 
I'm going to just, one sec, we're going to go to Mishpatim. Uh, Ega. One second, I didn't. Uh, okay. Um, sorry, I think I have the wrong one. The end of, of Mishpatim goes back to, uh, to Sinai. Okay, after the laws, it goes back to the conversation of Sinai. And now, of course, I'm not finding because I didn't mark off the puzzle that I wanted to. Um, I'm listening. Huh? Ted Zion. No, this is what's going on, but in the end of the parsha, and of course I can't find it right now. I found where it said the Jews say Nasa, but this is the end of Mishpatim. We also have where the Jews say Nasa Vanishma. That whole Nasa Vanishma situation comes at the end of Mishpatim, and I don't want to take up the time. Whoever's going to find it and tell me the right. It's in it's in Mishpatim, Nasa Vanishma, right? It's here. Okay, I just don't want to take up all our time finding it, and next time I'll be better about marking it off. Okay, I can't find it. Okay, so so one of the things that the measures tells us when we find it, we'll, we'll somebody will shout it out. Um, one of these that the measures tells us is that the response to us saying Nasavanishma was Hashem saying to us. Okay, put your money where your mouth is. Meaning, Nasavanishma mean, means Hashem, Moshe's bringing the, the, telling us about the, the, the Ten Commandments, and we say, we're in, whatever you say, Nasavanishma, we'll listen, we will, we will, Nasa, we will do it, and then we will listen, right? So, Hashem, so the Medrash says, and, and this, here's my take on the Medrash, we often have experiences that are just, they blow us out of the water. And if we don't do anything to ground them, they just go to our list of wow experiences. So the measure says, you guys are like so on fire for God. Okay, let's ground this. Let's, let's pull it down into a real thing. And let's build the Mishkan. Let's build a home for God. Let's, let's concretize that. And if you look at our portion here, we're going to go to the beginning of Teruma, chapter 25, verse 1, 2, 3. We're going to say that Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the Jewish people. Take for me an offering from every single person who libo, who uh, is generous of heart. Take my, my, my offering, okay? And what does Hashem ask of them? Verse three, four, five. Who would like to read for us? Go for it, Sarah. English? Yeah, English is good. This is a portion that you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and copper. And turquoise, purple, and scarlet, linen, and gold. So we're going to get into what's this tachash. Keep going. And by the way, what are we going to do with all this stuff? We shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. 
Okay. So, so, uh, so, so Hashem says, well, at first he's like, this is what I need. You know, so, you know, somebody was saying like, if you have somebody that you really care about and they say, Hey, I'm, there's a cause that I'm really, you know, I'm really passionate about. Would you help? I'm, I'm raising money for this cause. If your answer is, well, what's the cause? And, you know, da, 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 then, then it's not that I love my friend and I'm showing my love by supporting their cause. It's not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's, it's just when there's another response that says, if it's, if it's important to you, it's important to me. It's a different kind of relationship. One is not better than the other. They're just different kinds of relationships. So Hashem says to the Jewish people, this is what I need. And then after He's like, oh, this is what the cause is. The cause is to build a mishkan. Now, um, what's interesting about what all the commentators talk about the idea that there's a change of syntax. We go from single, make me amongst them. So there's a grammar issue going on over here. And the Shalach Kaddish tells us that, and it's not Rashi, it's very interesting, that Hashem says, I will dwell amongst each and every one of the Jewish people. I'm not going to just, yes, I will dwell amongst them, but but Rivka, to answer your question, what happens when we have no tabernacle, when we have no base in Akdash, then we need to become the home for God. We need to, we need to be the model. We need to say, how do I make myself a home for God? And it's very interesting that you're going to have this whole, there, there's a whole image of this, imagine this Mishkan or the Mikdash as a human form, that if the ark is your seichel, it's your brains, the menorah is your eyes, the, sh- the, ketone, the, the altar, the golden altar is your nose, the shulchan is your mouth, the outside altar is your internal organs. Like you have a whole person laid out over here. You have, <laughs> right? Imagine this as a human being laying like this. Okay, so we have an ark which is Chachel, which has the Torah, it has the Luchos. Okay, so that's our brain. And then we have a menorah. Oh, I lost my chair. We have a menorah, eyes. We have a Shulchan, it's our mouth. We have the Ketoris, there's incense going on, that's our nose. We keep going out to the altar, which is our internal, it's where we offer atmosphere. It's our whole internal thing. And then we have the whole structure is the skeleton of a person. That means we are, we actually are a temple for God. Now the question is, what do we do about it, right? Do we acknowledge that? How do we reflect that? How do we use it? How do we, yeah. First of all, we don't know about it. We for sure can't do anything about it. That's for sure. But now with, with, with knowledge of how we, this is literally us, right? So you're right. This is like the beginning of the unpacking of the layers of what does this mean? Because yes, the tabernacle stood for a short amount of time. The temple stood for longer, but also not, not for forever. Now we have to start breaking down the pieces and we have to start talking about, okay, what's going on over here? So I wanted to at least get to verse eight to say that we are building a home for God here and here and all in our whole being, in our whole body. We're going to use all of this stuff to build a home for God. Our heart. Um, I have to look exactly. I did know that once. I would possibly also the ark. I don't know. It feels like that would both be both be there, but we're going to look into it. And if I don't get back to you, please make sure I, you follow up with me. About that one. And what do all these specifics mean? 
that's the next question, but at least first understand, you know, the first thing is that all of these parts of us somehow have to be a home for God. Now it doesn't mean, and here's a very interesting thing. When Hashem asks for the donations, it actually uses, it, they actually are going to ask for three different donations. It's kind of embedded in the words, which we're not going to go into right now, but you can trust me or you can ask me later and I'll show it to you. But it's, it's three times it asks for a truma. And the, the Mepharshim say, commentators tell us that there were three gifts that were given. Gift number one was a half a shekel per person that was given for the sockets of the Mishkan. Okay, the sockets were essentially, the, the silver was melted down. They made them into silver sockets and they were the foundation that everything stood on. And that everybody gave the equal amount and uh, you could force them to give it. You could force somebody to give this donation. That's number one. The second donation that they were asked to give was again, a half a shekel for communal sacrifices. And that was gonna be a sacrifice, sorry, that was gonna be a donation that was going to be an ongoing donation. Every single year, every single person has to give a half a shekel, half of a silver coin again, uh, to put so that the communal sacrifices were actually bought with everybody's money. If we're offering sacrifices on behalf of the community, everybody had to have an equal share in those sacrifices. So that's sacrifice. That, sorry, that's, that's offering number two. And so offering number three is this whole listing of stuff that Sarah just read. Whatever you want, whatever you can give, whatever your spirit moves you to do, that's what you give. And that is totally up to every single person. And when, we, when we're going to look at what these items represent, we'll take the base ones, right? We have uh, gold, silver, and copper. Okay, gold, silver, and copper. So on the one hand, we have that gold represents our... Well, no, gold, first of all, gold, what's it? Two things. First of all, gold is always represents the Sadiq. Okay. The silver represents the Bainani. And the, the copper is the last option, <laughs> right? Which means that on the one hand, um, you, so you could say, we're building a home for God. Why do we only just use gold? Wouldn't that be magnificent? What are we wasting any, you know, anything on silver or copper? Because in our home, we get all of those, you know? And I once heard from Robbie Friedman, from Robbie Manas Friedman, stuck with me and it's such a powerful thing. We always think that a tzaddik and a Russia and a Benini are like all different people. And it's not true. We have all of them in us all the time. You know, we have the things where God always wins. The behavior where it's not, a, it's not, a, not that it's not a challenge, but like God's going to win this one. Then we have the places where you know and then there's the places where we're still struggling and sometimes it goes this way and sometimes it goes that way in our internal house if we believe that we could only build a house for god from gold well, well what about the parts of me that aren't gold yet and may never be gold then what do i do do they not come into my house no everything comes into the house of god everything comes into uh, comes into our relationship with hashem Hasidus talks about gold and silver as being fear and love of hashem how do we bring that into our relationship? So all of this is going to be very, very relevant to our personal home and how do we build it and what do we do with it and how, do, how does it manifest itself? Because we, we, I think it's, this is my take. You don't have to buy my challenge. Um, when we 
back to my 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 uh, rant of all or nothing. Life isn't all or nothing, and so if it if I feel that it's all or nothing, then 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 when I'm not feeling all, then does that mean I don't have a relationship with God? But it's not that that I have the parts that are gold, that are shiny, that are beautiful, that are like really on point. But then there's either parts or days or times that I don't. And so do I just say, you know, under the covers that I'm not, I'm not functioning and I'm not doing anything? Or do we say, how do I take this and use it to the best of the ability that I can right now? Maybe it's not going to be gold, but it's still going to be something beautiful. And maybe it's not going to be gold. Maybe it's not going to be a metal. Maybe it's going to be a thread. Maybe it's going to be scarlet or wool or, 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 you know, all those other things that come into the house of God, all of those things become relevant and become important and become um, significant into what we're doing. That was one thing or two things. I don't remember. I lost count. Um, Then I want to, there were two, it's interesting. There were, on the same thought, there were two opposing, as is so beautiful, I love in Judaism, two opposing um, opinions about the same idea. So Rev Soloveitchik says, um, you know, who is God asking of asking these donations from? Go back to the text, right? Not our home, but it's also true for us. Soloveitchik was talking about the text and he said, who is God saying, give me everything, give me, give me stuff to build a home, help me build my home for God. But Soledad said, it's like, he's talking to the Holocaust survivors. These are the people who just came out of Egypt. They've, they've suffered. And, and to be able to be in that place of a little bit of financial security now, and then to understand that it isn't all about my security. It's going to be good for us when we build for the other. And if you look at our, the last couple of generations, we had that same situation happen. We had survivors who came out of the concentration camps who said, what are we doing for Jewish life? How are we going to rebuild Jewish life? And whatever they had and whatever they gave, whatever they earned there, the, a big part was to, how do we keep, you know, we, we're going to start Jewish schools and we're going to start Jewish cemeteries and we're going to start Jewish you know, everything Jewish had to be rebuilt. And that's who did it in our generation. And so she says, that was what God was asking of these people. These are people who, you know, it, it was, it was almost like they were finally in a place of security. They finally had some financial security. And Hashem's like, can you still trust me? Can you, can you trust me to give the donation so we can build something bigger and greater and to be able, and, and because they were able to, that's what made it all the more precious because they didn't say, but, but, but we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we don't know when we're going to be able to give fully and of their, you know, as somebody who's, who's involved with a building campaign, um, the, Moshe has the shortest building campaign of history, literally of history. In two days, he had all the materials that he needed to build a magnificent home for God. Tons of silver and tons of gold and all the, everything, everything, everything to the fact, to the effect that the people, the contractors, whatever you want to call them, who are in charge of it, they're like, tell the people to stop bringing. Don't bring anymore. Two days. In two days, he got all that, all the things he needed, meaning that outpouring of love from people who could, we wouldn't have blamed them if we would have said, they, they were nervous to give it away. 
we wouldn't have blamed them. And yet they still said, yalla, let's build a home for God. That was Rav Soloveitchik's take on this, on this, on this situation. And then Rav, Rav Cook brought almost a different, a different opinion where the, the people, this was not money that they had worked for or earned. This was just, they had just left Egypt and, you know, it was almost like a, it wasn't such a challenge for them to give because they had, they hadn't put in the time and the effort and the energy to earn that money. And so, yes, they still gave it beautifully and gracefully and, and in such abundance, but it wasn't such a struggle because, because they hadn't connected to it in a deep way yet. So it's very interesting how the same kind of looking at the same personalities of the people and drawing different conclusions where on the one hand, do we look at them and say, wow, this was their, all their security, or do we say they had no attachment to it? And therefore we talk about today, we talk about in the Talmud, even the money is called damim, blood, because it's blood, sweat, and tears to earn money. And when we take of that money and we give to Hashem, we give to tzedakah, we give to whatever, wherever we're giving, Torah acknowledges that it is not easy to give tzedakah. It acknowledges that it is, it, it, that it, this is a big, big stress and it's a big struggle. And then the question is, and now what do we do? Understanding that it's a struggle, do we say, you know, therefore I'm not gonna, <laughs> or do we say, this is what I can do and, and to give that. And Torah does have limits to what we do give and how much we do give and all this kind of stuff is very, you know, it, it, you know you're not meant to give away all your money and then say, oh, now I'm relying on charity like that. That's kind of missing the point. But the place of being able to give to, to, to it's really giving to God and, to, and it's acknowledging that, yes, we put in the effort and yes, we put in the, you know, the energy to gain this, but we're also acknowledging it's not all about us. You know, it's not because we were the smartest and the, and whatever it's because Hashem gave us a bracha and that's why we have it. And therefore we are custodians for God's money. And that would be a very nice thing if everybody could actually see that and give the 10% of their, of their earnings so that it would definitely make a lot of things a lot easier for a lot of uh, institutions and people and whatever. But I digress on a slight little rant on the side. Yes. Is it, um... No, no, it's from Torah to give 10%. But to the No, 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 no. There was in the times of the temple, there was a whole system of tithing. So some things would, some, it was a six year cycle. So some year, there was some stuff that went to the Kohanim, some things that went to the Levine. Right. Right. But the, no, the practice the practically for the mitzvah tzedakah is the ten percent of your earnings have to be given to tzedakah. They have to be given to charity. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's interesting, and that's back to here, tzedakah is the only mitzvah that you don't need to have intention for. This is an interesting factoid. If you lose money and somebody finds it and is sustained by that money, you have the mitzvah tzedakah. But over here, if you take a look, verse two, speak to the Jewish people, truma, take for me a truma. Rashi says, truma li lishmi. It has to be done intentionally. You have to give this for Hashem. You have to, you can't just, it's not like, oh, I found this lost on the side. 
I have to like be able to give it to Hashem intentionally. Where it's stuck, usually that is not the case. Here, in, this case. in this case, in the building of the house of Hashem, it had to be intentionally. Give this for this. Exactly, exactly. It had to be given specifically for it has to be specific, it has to be given specifically for Hashem for building the house for Hashem. No, so so that's the interesting thing. He doesn't really say you have to. Okay. Some you do. We said the half shekel, the two half shekels were you had to give. Okay. But beyond that, Hashem's saying, please, could you do something nice for me? Mm-hmm. Right? Could you help me build my home? Uh-huh. And and everybody came pouring forth with amazing, amazing things. And it's interesting that the that you have it's like the stuff is listed in a funny order right because first we have gold silver copper okay so that seems to rank high on like the you know on the scale of what it is and then you have all these threads yarns wools blah 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 then you have leathers and then you have oil and then at the end in verse seven it says this avne shoham which are onyx stones and avne meluim and they're called the stones to fill to fill in the space for the ephod and for the choshen. The ephod was the breast, was the choshen was the breastplate and the ephod was the apron that the coin god was gonna wear. There was serious bling going on over here. This is not, you know what I mean? The breastplate was like this, it was this big, it had 12 stones. Can you imagine? This is not like a little half carat diamond, this is big stuff. And there's a conversation about why is it listed all the way at the end? Shouldn't it be up there with the gold and silver before the gold and silver? So, so the, so the, a lot of the commentators talk about the idea that who donated these 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 the stones for the breastplate of the Sho- and the Shoham stones were the Nisim, the princes of each tribe um, gave these stones. And one of the, and two reasons that they say that it was listed at the end. First of all, because the Nisim said, "Let the Jewish people give whatever they give, and whatever is missing will fill in the lack." Right, which is very nice and it's very special, except for the fact that the Jews gave everything. And they had nothing left to give except for these stones that had been set aside for them. So because they were not alacritous, is that a nice word? Mm-hmm. Right? Nice word. Yeah, generous? Quick. Okay. They didn't do it quickly. Hashem, Hashem said, I'm building a home, give something. They didn't say, yeah, we're going to give. They're, it's a big thing to say, we'll fill in whatever's missing. It's not like, you know, they could have been left with a lot of it. Like the fact is that they weren't, but they could have been. And it's a very generous thing, to, a very generous offer. But because they weren't zizim, they weren't, they didn't do it with alacrity. They didn't say, we're in, you know, they started thinking what makes sense. Then their contribution gets listed all the way at the end. And another commentary talks about the idea that where did they get these stones from? Where did they get the stones? The stones fell according to one measure. It fell with the mana. So it took no effort on their part. The stones at the Nisim were then going to donate, according to one Medrash, they fell with the mana. So it was no effort on their part. It, it was like, yes, they had to pick it up, they had to give it in. But because it didn't come with personal effort, it's great, it's important, we're not knocking. Like it's, it, it, it's listed in the, in the donations, but it isn't up there on the top of the list because it didn't take effort on their part to do it, which is such an interesting thing when we talk about our space, you know, based on English, building for ourselves. I think those are two very, very, very important uh, messages for ourselves. First of all, this place of stepping up, stepping up and being counted. 
I'm not saying we shouldn't use our brains. You know, I'm not, the, I'm not the person who's going to say, just do things and not think about it. But that place of being willing to say, yes, I'm in, I'll count me in, I'll be part of it, um, whatever, in different areas, that's something that I think is such an important, you know, there, there are times that we don't, I'm not saying we have to do it all the time, you know, but I think there's something very valuable about being able to step into the space and say, you know, who can, I can, you know, who can, I can. I'm not saying, you know, they tell a very famous Hasidic story about this, uh, a rich man was coming to a town and they ended up getting in very early. So they were going to get ready for Shabbos. So there's a rich man and there's a wagon driver. So the rich man starts walking to wherever he's going to get his to do his preparations. And he sees a wagon stuck in the mud. And so he tries to help. And he's like, pushing and slumming. Right? And, and he's not very successful because he doesn't actually know what he's doing. But he's like, I have the time. I'm going to do this. In the meantime, the wagon driver went off, got ready for Shabbos. And he's sitting in the shul. And in the back of the shul is where all the poor people sit. And they were waiting. And they're all looking for people to take them home for meals. Because that's like the custom in Jewish shows uh, from time immemorial. And so he's like, come, everybody come share my meal with me. And he takes all the beggars home, all the poor people home. And he doesn't have so much to give them because he didn't have the funds to, that wasn't what they were looking forward to all week to have a meal on Shabbos that was going to really satiate them. And that the place where they each did the other person's job. So I'm not saying just step into the place and say, you know what I'm saying? The wagon driver would have been able to help the guy get the wagon out of the thing. You know, he would have known what to do, what to do. And the rich man had the funds to feed all the people properly. There is a place of knowing what I should be doing. I'm not saying step into every single place and fill every need. If I can't do it, I don't know how to do it. I'm not saying that. But I think there's, there's a place, I'm going to call it self-preservation. You know, in, in Hebrew, it's a terrible, terrible word. Okay, maybe not a terrible, terrible word, but it's like, I really don't like it. My kids say, oh, there's such a friar. A friar is like a loser. They're taking advantage of you. To be a nice person is not being a friar person. You know, if it, you know, they tell a story. I forgot, maybe the Rebbe's Rifka used to make this kind of food some kind of very sweet dessert that was for people who were very sick. It gave them a lot of nutrients, whatever. And somebody once came to her and told her this whole story that these kids were sick and the family was sick. And he, and she gave him like so much of it. And afterwards, somebody came to the, to the resident and said like, you know, he just was, he was just like trying to get free dessert. And he had, a, he had a, you know, a meal and he used your dessert for everybody. She's like, oh, so glad that the kids aren't sick. I was so worried about, you know, the kids being sick. You could easily look at that and say, you know, I don't know that I'm, that, that's why we tell stories like that about Rebbitsons, not about like, you know, like, I think I might've been a little bit upset about that situation, but, um, but, but do I, do I label the behavior friar or do I say, I did a good thing. You know, I was doing a good thing. So I'm not saying, again, we have to know if we don't know how to get the, the wagon out of the, out of the mud, it might not be helpful for us to try to get the wagon out of the mud. We might be doing more damage than good. But I think that that place of, our feeling, am I being taken advantage of, stops us often from stepping into the space. So I want to make a plug to be good people and not worry about that. And the other part is that sometimes it isn't what we can give that makes the difference. 
It's the amount that we put in some effort. You know, there was once I read an article years and years ago. And of course, I don't remember the details, but they were talking about who was the most generous person in the in the United States. And they found there was a woman, an African-American woman, someplace, I think, in the Midwest, who gave like like one of these funny numbers, like, you know, $3,462.83 to, I don't know, the United Negro Foundation, I don't know, whatever she gave the money. And when you looked at the percentage of that was of her life earnings, it was way more than the big donors who were giving to whatever. To Now, we need big donors also. I'm not knocking big donors. But the place of giving from a, from a little from a place of effort, from it being a little bit like we shouldn't be left that we have to go on to charity. But in the, if the question, and maybe we shouldn't use ice cream as an example, you know, because because that's like kind of a necessity. That's a life necessity. Let's be honest over here. But but the question of where can I cut back a little bit so that I could give to somebody else, whether it's our time, whether it's our money whether it's our resources, whatever it is, there is something to be said, not that we should not have our needs met, but you know, like that, we, the extra, can I cut back on the extra a little bit so that I could give to somebody else? All of those are very, very, I think are very important um, conversations that we need to have with ourselves. This is not like a round table conversation. Well, I think you should be giving blah, blah, blah. I think those talents that you have would be great and that's not what this conversation is. It's a question of being honest with ourselves. It's a question of being open with ourselves and of, yes, being protective of ourselves, but also understanding that our behavior is making a home for God here. There might not be one on Temple Mount right now, but we are in fact making a home for God in ourselves. And as we do it in our own self, we're able to do it for the world around us and to spread it out further and to to make this like a beautiful bonfire for God. So I wanna give us all a bracha. We're starting the next bunch of weeks and we're really focusing on building a home for God. And I wanna give us a bracha that we, we should be able to step into the space, that we should be able to look into ourselves, into our hearts, into our talents, into our abilities and say, you know, where can I step it up a little bit? Because everything that I'm doing is making a home for God. It doesn't mean I need to do what that person's doing. It's That's not the conversation. The question is between me and myself, can I take a step forward into building my home for God? Have an awesome rest of the day and an amazing Shabbos. Okay.